0: The world always is changing and I think that's the thing to figure out is like, how are you moving with that change? And I think a lot of people get shocked by the fact that the world's changing. They get kind of confused that things are changing and and, and the world isn't a steady state and creativity definitely isn't a steady state. It's something that you fuel with whatever experiences you have and you turn that into the thing you want to make.
1: Welcome to Frequencies, a podcast that shares stories and practical advice from creative leaders around the world. The podcast has been on hiatus the last few months, and I'm happy to be back with a great conversation. I'm Ian Ernzer, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Simon Dixon of Dixon Baxi, hot on the heels of their recent huge rebrand of Hulu. Simon's the co-founder of Dixon Baxi, an international branding agency. He's a designer, creative director, and a strategic thinker who's explored where creativity, design, and technology overlap for well over two and a half decades. Simon Dixon, welcome to Frequencies. Thanks for joining me today.
0: I'm very happy to be here, so I'm looking forward to it.
1: All right. Well, I like to start these conversations off just by asking you where you're from and what did you think you would be when you grew up?
0: Yeah, I'm um, from the north of England, a place called York in the UK. So kind of provincial tourist city, uh, about 125, 150,000 people. And um, uh, when I grew up, I was home educated. My parents were quite bohemian and I grew up in the 70s and early 80s. It was a good time in the UK. It was very intense and very dark and and, and it was going through a lot of um, a downturn, really. And my, my parents kind of reacted to that and took me out of school and tried to teach me the ways of life. And. From a very early age, I knew art was something that I was interested in, and what happened was I ended up doing further education. My, my, um, you know, the, my training and my education started very early. So I was fifteen, and I, I did different art courses. So I did a foundation in art, I did printmaking, I did illustration, I was doing photography, and I was trying lots of different things. And then suddenly realised that if you overlap these things together, and I was quite influenced by uh, Robert Rauschenberg at the time, and I thought you could probably amalgamate this into something like graphic design, and then maybe I could do something with that because I didn't think I was talented enough to be a raw artist, Mm. and I'm quite a pragmatic guy and quite functional. I like working to a delivery of something. So I went into graphic design, and I did uh, a provincial design course, tried to get into a fancy London college, got rejected, so I stayed in the north of England. And then I started my first design agency at nineteen, whilst I was on that design course, as a reaction to being rejected, and uh, that got me in the game.
1: Amazing! Wow! Yeah, so it's incredible what rejection does for um, for ego and self esteem, and also for uh, driving you forward. I was rejected from grad school oh, yeah. at UC Berkeley. I thought I would be a, uh, I wanted to be a teacher, <laughs> and I applied for my master's in education, didn't get in, and ultimately that's what led me into pursuing design. I mean, always, I'm a self-taught designer and I, it was always there, but that was the motivating factor.
0: Yeah, I like, um, I'm a big fan of self-motivation and, and that sense of taking what could be a negative and turning that fuel into something positive. I think so. It's, it's a good driver for a creative person because life is never perfect. You can't control, you can only control what you can control and you can control your reaction to things that happen to you. And I think if you can fuel yourself with, with those things and do something with it. I think it's really cool.
1: Yeah. You can't be afraid, right? Yeah. That's what, uh, so many folks are, they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of putting them themselves out there. Yeah. And you know, in our industry that isn't, um, it's not going to get you very far. I know you're a big fan of bravery and the idea of being brave. I mean, that's so much around Dixon Baxey, around what drives your, I'd say it's kind of your, your ethos. I mean, can you share more with me about, you know, just your thoughts around bravery and what that, what that does for creatives or just people in
0: general? Yeah. I mean, it's relative to, you know, the creative process, you know, obviously we're not brave in the true sense of the word, but it's about rejecting fear and rejecting the idea of the self-doubt and, and imposter syndrome and the things that can catch up with you as a creative person. And there's a lot of bullshit in the industry about how you should work the way you should work what types of things you should do and we've always been very kind of reactive to that which is it's much better to be self-determined and do the type of work you'd like to do and i'd much rather take a risk and fall down and get back up again than have that feeling of never quite trying something and i think as you develop your career there's a danger that you can settle or atrophy if you don't keep changing and adapting and I'm 30 years mm-hmm. into my career, and I'm just as excited today as I was the day I started my first company. And I think part of it is because I reject the idea that I have to settle. I reject the idea that I can't change today and tomorrow. So being brave is something that myself and my business partner, Rapova, tried to insist still in ourselves when we started our studio, that it's okay to fuck up. It's okay to fall down. And it doesn't matter what people think about us because if we're proud of our work and we do the things that are meaningful to us and design things for as many people as possible around the world and try and use creativity to improve the world, then I think we'll have a good career and we'll be happy. And that has kind of proved the point.
1: Mm, Yeah. So what has changed from when you started your first agency at 19 to where you are today?
0: Uh, Well, we've got the internet. uh, (laughs) We have computers. Oh, that that little thing? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I was lucky when I started, I trained in, um, hot metal type. I trained in Bertel typography and I tra- I was trained in Swiss typography as well by one of my tutors. So I got a grounding in the uh, very late eighties in the traditional craft of design and true kerning. you know, m dashes n dashes and, and the, 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 vernacular of, of design in a purest sense. And it was manufactured. You made things, you cut and paste and put it together. But at the same time, it translated into um, the first Apple Macs arriving in the UK in 86, 87. So I kind of smushed those two things together. And, um, you know, not much has changed in terms of how I create, but the fact that the world can see everything instantly. And everybody knows what everybody's doing just wasn't the case when I started out. So you got to discover your visual language. You, you had to research to understand who was doing interesting work. You had to travel to see things. When I first started out, I used to go to London every month. And I used to go hmm. to design agencies there that I liked and say, I'd, can I come and see you? And they always thought I wanted a job. And I said, oh, no, no, I've got an agency. No, <laughs> I just want to look inside your studio and figure out how you work. And I met loads of people like Vaughan Oliver and Neville Broad, you know, Why Not Associates and the people I thought were cool at the time. And they took time to meet me. And I, I try and replicate that now with, with my practice. If someone contacts me, I try and give them time to kind of um, give a little bit back. But the problem, going back to what I was saying, of seeing everything instantly is you can get overwhelmed with similar and homogenized design and creativity. So, the one thing I do now that I didn't used to do is I, I have to do self discovery to find new ways of working, new ways of looking at our creative output so we don't get stale and we don't fall into the trap. So it's very much about how you edit your cultural references now, I think, uh, which is different because we had to discover ad- uh, cultural references when I was younger.
1: Wow. Yeah, so much there. I think now cultural references are found online, right? They're digital references yeah. and it's a representation of what's happening out in life. Mm -hmm. And especially now with there's so many references that their ideas, they represent the thing. And there's that saying that the map is not the territory. Yeah. So sometimes the representation of something or the representation of something is never the actual thing. Right. And today there's just so much noise and so much information, especially in creativity Mm -hmm. around culture. We're exposed to and this isn't noise, this isn't bad noise, this is positive, but our exposure to people around the world and the way that people do things. And that of course overlaps into creativity, into Mm -hmm. design. And that's the intersection of design and creativity and business for us, right? The way that people do business in India or in Singapore is... The same in one capacity as the way people do it in other countries, but it's also different. And so it's sort of that meeting in the middle, right? Um, when we were talking before, you said it's very much a dance, right? And mm-hmm. that's what developing relationships are about as well. It can't be, can't follow a process every time and you can't follow a map exactly to get you to the place of course there's going to be detours there's going to be hiccups along the way and that's just part of you know again being brave being willing and open to exploring and going on the journey and the adventure
0: yeah you've got i think you've got to put yourself in a, a position to deliberately fail and fuck up and 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 can kind of admit missteps because that's where the magic is and there's a couple of things i think that that resonate for me um one is it's easy to get to good very quickly now So everybody Mm. knows what the gag is, the technologies and softwares and systems. It's so easy to get to good quickly, but getting to great is really, really hard and getting to something original is even harder. And the devices and the way that Instagram and Behance and things like that show work makes up for its deficits. Everything Mm. appears to be better than it is, but if you really analyze things, (laughs) there's the same amount of bad design, mediocre design and brilliant design as there's always been. And, when you When you run that in parallel with there's a lot of sense that difference isn't celebrated anymore. It's decried. there's a lot of bubbles that are created, and anybody who's different is is pulled down. There's a sense of there's a cultural smoothing of things, and I think there's a softening culturally. Um, of course, there's lots of political and social things that we're wrestling with as well. But I think when you think about the actual creative process, there's a huge rounding and deadening of that process because everybody uh, there's an anxiousness not to step out of line and be a bit wild and try different things. And Certainly at the level we operate, because we do very large global projects, trying to find a way of creating magic for tens and hundreds of millions of people is quite tricky, but I love that. I love the idea of the democratization of design, that you can do truly beautiful design for millions of people and the things that we share as humans, there's a lot of common things, but the differences are also good as well. And you should celebrate both of those things, the things we share, but the things that are different.
1: Yeah. I was gonna ask you what the uh what's the magic, what's the secret formula of going from good to great? But I also think it's so fascinating that there is this softening or rounding out of people's opinions and ideas. Uh, I think it probably stems from, you know, it's different in different parts of the world. I think in Australia it's, they call it tall poppy syndrome yeah, or yeah. tall flower syndrome, right? The tallest flower gets picked yeah. or in Japan I've heard that's why, uh, at least in past decades, people would keep their head very, very low down as they were typing or working. Because if you're up, then your manager sees that you're up and it means you're not working. Yeah. And so, you yeah, know, tallest nail gets hammered.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, in our industry, what we do is about invention. You know, our job is to create, is to make things. And a large part of that <laughs> right. is invention. So if if you fall back on the same techniques and the same processes all the time, and you don't stretch how you do that. I don't think there's something sad about uh, atrophying, I think, creatively. and It's something that Mm. I worry about a lot. I mean, I worry about many things, um, but I don't like the idea of um, accepting that this way of working has always got to be the same and everyone agreeing that everything has to be a certain way because you have to fight those stereotypes, I think. You've got to wrestle to find something new, and it is... Sometimes it's attritional and sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's explosive. But, you know, creativity defines who you are. It's an emotional state. It validates you. So you have to kind of tear something out of yourself sometimes, I think, to really get something that is meaningful.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's hard. It's hard to push yourself into the uncomfortable states. Yeah. So you think that's, would you say that is one of the main ingredients of going from good to great is not settling, is constantly reinventing and being self-aware?
0: I think self-aware is actually it. It's just being aware of where you, you are in your creative journey, where you are in the projects you're doing and how you're working and collaborating with each other as a team. Cause obviously the type of design and creativity and branding we create is a team game. So it's a, it's a, it's a kind of interpersonal relationship mm-hmm. that creates great work of, of the scale we, we create. And when I talk about great work, the metric I always use is our pride in the work. I would never assume we're better or worse than any other agency in the world. So it is relative to my personal opinion of, of the work that we create. But I know when we're dodging. I know when we're, we're not mm. feeling it. I know where we be, when we become comfortable. And I can read those signals. So I think it's just becoming both self-aware individually, but self-aware of the entity of dixon changing. And... We're hiring at the moment and whenever we hire, there's a chance for the company to grow and the perspective of the company to become more diverse. And I don't just mean uh, in terms of the, 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 the people themselves, but the mindset can grow and change. So that's something we keep an eye on is constantly reblending and blending the team to stretch our worldview.
1: Hear that everybody? They're hiring right now. Send those portfolios over. Awesome. I'm glad you brought that up. I've been so interested in the idea of um, designing a job based on somebody's personality and their skill set instead of the traditional way of finding somebody to fit the job and forcing them into that position. And so I, I think we're at sort of a tipping point now where it's very much about adapting, adapting the requirements and the job to the person and the person also adapting to the the position because mm-hmm. everybody has their core, right? They have their, their strength and their foundation, whatever your, you know, whatever your craft that you were taught in, but you also have your branches that go out and that's life experience. Those are relationships. Those are the traits that you develop. And it's very interesting. I think we're mm-hmm. starting to see sort of a transition from the old to the new.
0: Yeah. It's funny because having been in the industry for a long time, I just feel that's always the case. You know, like I, I think, there's a perception that any particular moment in time is the moment of change. But mm-hmm. I grew up in the seventies and the eighties, which was a big moment of change in the UK. And then the nineties and I went to America in the nineties when Clinton was in power and I opened a studio in New York and San Francisco. And that felt like the world mm-hmm. was changing. And then nine 11 happened wow. and the world felt like it was changing again. And, and then the thousands came and, you know, that you know, we're having Brexit over here and, 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 the world always is changing. And I think that's the thing to figure out is like, how are you moving with that change? And I think a lot of people get shocked by the fact that the world's changing. They get kind of confused that things are changing and, and, and the world isn't a steady state and creativity definitely isn't a steady state. It's something that you fuel with whatever ex- experiences you have and you turn that into the thing you want to make. In our case, we're commercial artists we're working to a brief on behalf of millions of people, but we're still fueling that with our life experience. So what we take is the positives and the things we can control and turn them into things that make us dynamic as a company. And that, that's how I mm-hmm. see it really is, is your, your job is to focus on how you, you can improve your part of the world with whatever skill sets you have. And I agree with you. It's reciprocal. When we hire people, we look to promote their strengths and support their weaknesses because nobody's perfect you know so what we try and do is create an environment that blended together everyone can work well and give people as much flexibility to be the type of person they want to be it's difficult it's like a again it's a there is a bit of magic to this as well creating the culture for people to feel like they're invested in something that is a greater entity than themselves but also they're validated personally in their choices and the things they'd like to do with their their career and our job is to accelerate that for people whilst they're with us and mm-hmm. and help them become the type of creative they want to be and hopefully they are with us for years and years and years and decades but eventually we have to hand them on to someone else and our job is to hand them on to the next person better than when we received them
1: oh i love that you mentioned our job as commercial artists is, you know, creating experiences and spinning the positives. And when we think about even in our, our lives, the memorable experiences, like we don't remember, we don't remember the, the okay to good days, right? All those bleed together and they become sort of a blur. We remember the hard things. Mm -hmm. We remember those growth moments, the things that we overcame. And it's the same thing in our line of work in working with uh, partners, with clients, with each other. You know, it's about facing the challenges and being open and excited about it. And not that every day is like, yay, I'm going into a disagreement. But, you know, when you have the optimism to find common ground and to um, maybe change somebody's mind or have your own mind changed, like those are the things that really stand out. Those are the chapters in life Mm -hmm. or... In a project or in a relationship, so you talked about at Dixon Baxi the mindset of helping people become better, and it's a long term, a long term investment in people and in the studio. Um, what are some things that you do personally in helping people become better?
0: We have a range of things. I think the first thing, you know, someone like me, my job is to create the space for people to be creative, so to set the tone. Um mm-hmm. because I'm facilitating um, the environment that allows them to feel confident to create the work they want to do so a lot of the way that we we think about and, and talk about the way we work is to give the team permission to be a better version of themselves and push themselves and whilst doing mm-hmm. so, push us but we have lots of things you know we you know we have an intern program for example where we pay the London minimum wage um which facilitates people who would maybe from different backgrounds not get into the industry. And our job is to take people who maybe at the very bottom and far more diverse than you would potentially find at the top of the industry and find a place for them in the industry that they maybe won't, won't do. And we found not everybody understands all, the whole range of jobs and things you could do in the creative industries. There's a perception that if there's designers... And that's it. And maybe one or two other things, but because there's hundreds of ways of being creative in our industry. So we try and create the space for people to find that journey. So, you know, we might have somebody who starts in marketing and, and, and sales, who moves into strategy, or we might have somebody who works with us and they're working on our film. They end up being a designer and then go back to be a researcher on movies when they leave us. So we, we try and kind of find a journey for people, uh, both individually and collectively. And, you know, a lot of it is just about permission to to be the best version of, of you creatively. And we've always believed that we want someone who joins us to add to the richness of how we look at the world creatively rather than replicate how myself and a poverty see the world. So our job is to just kind of navigate that space and find potentially the clients and collaborations and relationships that allow us to do the type of work we do and We have a scale um, of 1 to ten, one being evolution and 10 being revolution. We operate in the 5 to 10 space. So we're extremely explicit with our clients and our collaborators that if you want us to work on a project, our job is to have greater change and make a bigger difference. And we hardwire those things into the company. And, you know, there's many different ways. We have lots of obviously other programs and, and things that help the strength of the kind of team building but i think most of it is about the as i say this permission to push the envelope and, and push what it means to to do great work for people
1: that's amazing wow i think that helps with confidence that helps with people to be brave that helps with them to Put wild ideas out there and not hold back, right? Because I think a lot of people are afraid of being judged, um, even far along into a career. It's like, oh, you become complacent, just like you I said. I it, mean, it's easy.
0: I think this thing it's is easy. Yeah, I think judging crazy. It's like we design for real people, they're the ones who judge our success, not other creatives and not the client and not the brand. We design for people. And it's the person using the design on the mobile phone or downloading something we created or an experience they they experience in the real world. They're the ones we design for. They don't know how it's designed. They don't care how Mm -hmm. it's designed.
1: They -hmm. they,
0: they care about how it changes their lives and improves it and facilitates what they want. And the idea that you can judge creativity, um, I think it's a bit absurd at best. I think, you know, everyone likes winning awards and stuff, but there's enough websites out there that really don't help yeah, the quality of our creativity.
1: Yeah, I've won. I've won a hundred awards on websites people have never heard of.
0: Yeah, yeah I haven't.
1: Yeah. I'm just saying. You
0: know, I'm sure. you, I mean, I'm sure you've won hundreds of awards. I'm sure you words, <laughs> no. I mean, judging by your agency, I would expect you to be winning awards every week. So I don't mean to be disparaging about awards, but I think there's 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 too much um, emphasis about what the industry thinks, and not enough thinking about what real people think. Because we design for real people. I don't design for the industry. I don't care what happens in Brooklyn and Shoreditch. I'm designing for people in Mexico and Japan and South America and, you know, all over America and Europe. That's who we design for. I'm friends with those people in Brooklyn and, and, and Shoreditch, and I love their work. But I judge work on the merits of why you're designing and who you're designing for and the difference you make.
1: Yeah, brand is what they say when you're not in the room, right? And we can do our best to control how a company or a brand or an organization, products, services, we can control the appearance and we can do our best to shape perception. But the way that people translate that and process and uh, receive it, we can't control that. Right. Yeah. And that all comes down to people's experiences and cultural norms and, um, you know, location plays in and language, yeah. you know, in North America, we read. Top to bottom, left to right. You know, in the east it's the other way around. It's right to left. And so how do you factor that into an international global brand that needs to be transcribed into so many different languages?
0: And you can't so. cheat it either because the person at the end who, who is interacting with your design tells you if it works or not. You get feedback. They, they mm. download or don't download, they click or they don't click. They listen or they or they don't listen. They buy or they don't buy you get feedback from from that and um we've got this phrase which is um not believing your own hype i think our industry um is putting itself in a bubble where it's echoing around and we're all believing um we have powers and abilities and a position in the world um, that we don't we are servicing something greater than ourselves and i think that that's how i see design And, uh, you know, we try not to fall into the trap of navel gazing and believing the kind of bullshit of what goes with our industry.
1: Yeah, that's great advice for everybody listening. I think also is being receptive to feedback and listening, because when you're not, you know, when you uh, put the walls up around you and you don't want to hear the feedback or it's in one ear and out the other, you don't become better. Right. Yeah.
0: But you need permission for the feedback. There's, there's too much feedback that is not requested and that is the problem. I'm not interested in a thousand people on a website talking about my work because <laughs> I didn't ask for their feedback and they don't use the design I accurate. So I'm not interested, but the feedback of one of my designers, when we're talking about a project, I care about deeply. It's really meaningful. If you and I were talking about design, I would really care about what you said, because I trust your opinion. Your opinion is validated by our relationship and the situation. But people just projecting feedback, not interested in that.
1: Yeah, that's a crucial nuance, I think, for people to understand.
0: Because it affects people. It it, it cripples people's creativity. It cripples people's mindset, and it sets them back. It's not additive. It's saying, because I could go on on anyone's website and say, that's shit, that's terrible design. Or why didn't you design like this? Oh, that classic thing where someone redesigns something to say how much better it could be. Design something new and original and go change the world. So I I just think there's um there's a danger that we're kind of eating ourselves and and we we try and avoid that.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why creativity is more important than ever, right? Yeah. It's the ability to to change the world. I mean, I, I suppose that's always been the root of creativity, right? Is a unique way of solving a problem mm. or invention. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think looking back, we could always say that creativity has never been more important, but. I really do think it's critical right now. Yeah. I mean, what do you think of creativity today and the future of it? I mean, why is it so important for us?
0: I mean, I've got to say, I feel very positive. Um, I think when there's great difficulty is when creative people, and I mean everybody in the world, not just people who are designers, people who use creativity and critical thinking and strategy and ideation to improve things and make things better. Is how the, the world develops. So I think when it's at its hardest, that's when we need the, the most creativity. And whether that's in life, you know, community, uh, the social side of things or business and the kind of infrastructure that connects us all, the more creativity takes leadership and improves things, the better from my perspective. And um, at its best, it's very optimistic and positive and additive. And I think that that that's what we look for is the kind of additional thing and you know, sometimes it's deeply meaningful because it could be a political stance. sometimes it might just be a piece of entertainment that makes you happy or a pair of sneakers that makes you feel okay. But I think wherever it fits in your life, it should be making it better
1: i'm thinking back to your childhood growing up in a bohemian household. Did you grow up with a with a strategic mind or with parents sort of um, exposing you to strategic ways of thinking. I know it's never taught that a parent would never say, I'm going to teach you how to be strategic, but were you a problem solver as a a young child?
0: It's, it's very hard to gauge, but, um, I was home educated. So I was taken out of school when I was 10. Um, and my sisters were taken out when they were eight and six. So we, we were home educated and my father was, um, a frustrated artist, musician, photographer. So he used to, he, he he had a day job as a editor of a newspaper, a local newspaper. But on a night he played in a rock band. He 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 toured with people like rock bands for Enemy and The Face to take photographs. And he was a writer. And my mum was is very creative and a very artistic person. So I grew up in an artistic environment. But because of the situation, um, basically I, I was self taught. So everything I've learned is either through experience or reading. And there's a kind of feral quality to that, which is really good. But there's a self-determined quality that I've, I've always carried with me, which is I'll apply myself to, to something in the moment, try it, learn from that, and then move on. And I learned that at a very young age. So I don't think that is strategy, but I think that is a perspective of, um, it's like a self-learning engine and I've never lost that.
1: Very systematic as well. Yeah. I think myself being an artist first, it was hard for me to couple the concept of being strategic and creating a framework for creativity, Mm. you know, whereas in, in art in painting and photography, you can be very experimental and the freedom can sometimes take you too far away from what you're actually trying to do.
0: I mean, I've, I've, I, I've always liked, um, I like big ideas. So outside of design, I like reading about astronomy, physics, um, science and things which are very different disciplines i read a lot of factual um books and, and and things and i've always liked when i find an idea i like to go back up the path to figure out where that idea came from and how it connects to other things and then i like to go further back so when i think about strategy the kind of problem solving part of strategy is like i like to find the root of the idea the source that determines that And a lot of the design that we create, it's an ecosystem, it's an interconnected design system that is applied live and interactively and physically across thousands of components real time. If you think about the design systems we create, so whatever drives that should have a system and make sense, but it should be adaptive and fluid enough to react to humans because it's a human experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but I like ideas to drive our design and I like big ideas to do that. So I think that's where my love of strategy comes from. So when you're
1: working with clients, is that baked into the process? I mean, do you have your discovery phase and the concepting? Is there a process that you follow loosely or rigidly at certain points of the project? It's both.
0: It's, um, we have a, it's called the Dixon Maxey way just to us. It's not a martial art, it's just our process. And like Uh, most agencies, um, you have to immerse yourself and you have to gather the insights, the information that will fuel whatever you do. So we have a stage process, which we immerse, we listen, we meet, we get to know people, and then we translate that into a a strategic engine and we call those experience principles because we want it to be an engine of change. We don't like fixed strategies like onions and pyramids and stuff like that. We call them experience principles. So, that's something that creates an engine of creativity and then you can apply that across anything. And obviously the design part of it takes initial precedent, but how it sounds, the voice, its attitude is a big part of that. And then we're rampantly into implementation and making things. So we really love the craft of, of what we do. So we animate and we create sound and we make the things we, we make. So we do all of the phases, but we look at people, um, habits and behaviors rather than demographics and data it's very easy for strategy Mm. to be created to be quite abstract because everybody's got lots of information about people but humanizing that is quite difficult and we think the translation of strategy into design systems is where most things fall down most companies we work with understand their value to people and most people can design well but very few people can translate those strategies and the way that you, you serve people and the way that there's paradigm shifts in their habits and behaviors, this year is a, a classic example of that. People are constantly changing. So the brand has to be adaptive and um, change with the world and how it serves people and creating design systems that deliver against that takes quite a bit of work, but, we do all of that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's easy to spin a story. You can create any story you want through data that you can manipulate and bend and morph, but to strike on that cultural or that human nerve, that's where the, the beauty is. Right. And then how do you marry those two things together? You know, data-driven storytelling that also
0: hits human, human truths. Yeah. And also, you know, it's best um, creativity raises the hairs up on the back of your neck. It makes your heart race it, you know beautiful things in design are really important and we, we always just describe it as creating wonder like this idea that all those moments you have with people when you're designing are really precious that you know the, the the person at the end and you should delight them as well you know there's a kind of there's a beauty and a craft to what we do that's really important and data and all that stuff you you need to know that because if you're changing the company you need to build on something meaningful but of course our job is to inspire people as well and create something wonderful
1: So when you're, when you're driving a project or a brand forward with the team, of course, there's always the big idea, the engine, the motivation, what do you do when people or even yourself start drifting away from that? How do you help pull it back in? I know it's probably case by case, but obviously that happens on projects. I mean, what are some, some tactics that you do that can maybe help people stay focused or remember to, um, you know, come back on track?
0: Yeah, I mean, veering is something that happens on projects and bodies of work. It's very easy for that to to happen. Um, That's the reason that we really want to understand the value of what we do to people and and where that's rooted, because initial challenges to the creativity um, are often rooted in that uncertainty. And when I was talking about the translation of the first initial design from the strategies, that kind of experience engine that I was talking about, there's an intuitive part to that creative process as well as the intellectual strategic part. And you've got to trust that in intuition as a creative person to create the magic. Once you've got that, they're the two beats you have to keep rooting back to, which is we've got lightning in a bottle now. And it's very easy as a, as a project goes forward to become very attritional. So what you do is you feed back in the moment. So if you're using Slack or you're using some digital software and, you're following the column down You go, I've sent you this render. I've sent you this little thing. What do you think? You comment. If you go back up the scroll, you can see the project changing. <laughs> you can hear the ch- change of voice and you can hear the attritional quality. So you just stop. Go back to the magic, that lightning in a bottle, and look where you are and just realign it.
1: It's kind of like tracing your footsteps when you've lost your keys or yeah, or your phone. exactly.
0: It's just <laughs> yeah, you've got to keep rooting back. I mean, don't forget you're expanding on that, of course. But it's so easy um, for the process and the communication and the systems to outrun what the goal is. You have to have a really explicit goal. And we, when we do a project, we have a goal for the client, of course, because um, we're trying to change the company for the better and on behalf of the people they serve. But we also have a creative goal for ourselves. We, we set ourselves a task to do something to better ourselves. So we have that as a kind of lightning rod as well as something that we aim for. Is like, how do we, on this particular project, how do we do something different to challenge ourselves on behalf of the people we're designing for to do something different and original? So we have that as a, a kind of second flag.
1: Is that one of the reasons you do what
0: you do? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. That's a really tricky question. I don't know what else to do. It's, it's, um,
1: it's, uh, You've gone too far, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone too
0: far. <laughs> no turning I'm, I'm, uh, back. institutionalized. No, what it is, is um, I think if you're a creative person, there's something inside you that needs expressing and there's lots of ways of doing that. Mm. And I, I use commercial art as my way of expressing it. And I've created an entity that creates something around me that I share with other people, particularly my business partner, Opovo. he and I have worked together for 26 years. So there's a symbiotic relationship and that relationship with him, the entity that we've created and the work we do defines who I am as a person. There's many things outside of that define me, my family and friends and other things, interests I have, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. On, on a basic level, the, the, the complete me is somebody who uh, runs a creative company. I don't know what else to do. I don't want to do anything else. I really like doing it.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's the the parts, you know, the parts creating the whole very gestalt. You know, we have our professional lives, we have our personal lives and they're not, they're separate, but they're the same at the same time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I get self-doubt, it it affects me whether I'm having my dinner or whether I'm designing. You know, I have self-doubt, so I've got to wrestle with that. Or if I'm elated over something, I'll be elated while I'm having my dinner as well as when I'm designing. <laughs>
1: sure. Wow. So that's, I think that's really good for people to hear, you know, as emerging creatives and people just starting out that even people, uh, far along into their career running successful agencies with a very successful history and track record, you're not invincible to self, self doubt, not invincible to, um, you know, these moments of, of, um, Insecurities. It happened.
0: We're human. But that's it. It's part of being human, and it's sort of part of being a creative person. I get imposter syndrome all the time, and on and any metric, I'm very successful in my career, and I've achieved many things that I'd set out to achieve, and many things that I didn't know I could achieve. Mm. But I still sit there some days and go, "They're going to find out that I don't have any clue what I'm doing." <laughs> and I don't think you ever lose that. It's like, you know, and I, I've just learnt to, to. I use that as fuel. I, I just go. Right. Like what do I do now? Uh, I'm, I'm very, absolutely. Um, I'm very lucky to be in the situation I, I am in terms of how things have developed for me. But it doesn't stop me worrying.
1: Yeah, you need to be, as you said, pragmatic. You need to to be excited. You need to be. Um what am I, what am I saying? You just, you need to be, um, you just need to know that you're going to push through. Yeah. You need to know that you've done this before and you have the tools and the the grit to do so. Yeah. You know, I, I love hearing the story of rock artists, you know, sp- people getting up on stage, they face imposter syndrome and anxiety before going out on stage but they just have to trust the the principles. They have to trust their their experience and know that they've done this hundreds, if not thousands, of times before. So you just get out and do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, your experience takes yeah, your experience takes over, doesn't it? Because I, I love those stories of like a really world famous artist being sick before they perform after after a thousand concerts. Mm. Because if you don't feel nervous and you don't have butterflies and you don't feel anxious, then you're not you're not learning. Because the moment you, you feel, oh, I'm on top of this, means either you're delusional or you've stopped <laughs> learning. So I, I, I like it. I just, I turn it into positivity. But um, yeah, I love those stories about people who are still nervous after all these years because that's what we are. Is we're just people when it comes down to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think for I think for artists, performers, and even us in what we do, it's about making people happy. It's about mm-hmm. making people excited about the things that we've created. Of course you you get you get nervous about that, like, oh are they gonna like it. But if you have the confidence to to know that you did everything in your control to create this this idea and bring this idea to life, then you shouldn't be anxious or nervous about it.
0: No, I, I mean I always said to my guys that um if you love it, other people will They'll feel the love for the work in it. Because you can't control what people's opinions will be. And creativity at its best is super subjective. So not everything everyone's going to love everything. But what you've got to do is love it yourself. If if there's a kind of feeling you have when you're creating there's like a flow that you can feel in your stomach, in your heart, in your head. Mm. You can feel when you're in the zone. And the the longer you're in the zone, the know the more you know you're going to deliver what you want to deliver. And if you stay in that zone and not worry about what people want, you'll do more great work. And then when it's released, it'll be what it's going to be.
1: Yeah, it's like when you're having a, a great conversation, like right now. I mean, I feel that as we're talking, you know, we're talking about things we love, and yeah. we're knowing that we're sharing it with people and for perspective and it's all about helping people. You're right. You feel it.
0: Yeah. I think you can be, you just have to be honest, I think, because it's very hard to know whether, you know, someone might be listening to this and just think I'm an idiot, (laughs) but I, I I can't, I can I, the only responsibility I hold is to be honest to you. And like I say, it's like, when I'm talking to you, it's like, I'm reacting to your perspective and you're reacting to mine. And I think that's really what creativity is, is listening to somebody and then figuring out what, what what we're doing together and a conversation is the same as making a, a brand together.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to listen when you stop listening and just start ramming your opinion down, you know, down people's ears. It's like, ah, you're, you're missing the point. You're pushing your objective and your goals onto, onto them. And that doesn't, that doesn't pan out well. No. All right, Simon. Uh, amazing. What do you think about jumping into a lightning round here? I'm going to fire off some questions to you. I'm ready to go. All right. Awesome, man. What is the best advice that you've ever received?
0: This is a, a, um, I'm going to give a pragmatic answer. Someone, when I was very young said, buy property. (laughs) And, and, um, the reason I say it is that, um, we own the studio we have and we own the studio we had before this, and that has given us a financial security to do the type of work we want to do. So it was really good advice in, in terms of, um, being self-determined in the work we do as a studio.
1: Mm. What about mental property? We say a butcher shop brand is mental real estate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. I, gotta say, I love butcher shop as, um, as a company name. It's such a brilliant name.
1: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. There's yeah. something, uh, something, I wouldn't say old timey about it, but there's something about community that's there, you know, it harkens back to days of going into the butcher shop, knowing your butcher, your local butcher, your local producer. And this isn't why the name, why we have the name butcher shop. But this is one, one idea that I like to think about. It's almost like when you go in and you're looking for, you want to create a dish, right? Yeah. And you don't know which, uh, which parts of the animal, you know, like, am I going to use the leg? Am I going to use the ribs? And you go to the butcher and you say, Hey, I have this idea. I want to create this dish with my family. What should I use? And your butcher's the one that's going to tell you like, Oh, here's how we're going to cut this up. You know, that's similar to what we do.
0: I think it's one, it, 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 it makes my mouth water. That's why I like it. <laughs>
1: I know it's almost dinner time for you, huh?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, maybe it's that, but there's a kind of Pavlovian <laughs> thing to it.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right. So that's good advice. Pragmatic. Um, what is the best advice that you can give for others?
0: Um, I always say the same thing, which is create work you're proud of work the way that suits you and avoid doing anything just for money.
1: Great advice. Very sound. All right. Do you have a daily ritual or
0: practice in some senses? Yes. Um, in the morning I psych myself up for the day. So I have two Simons. I have life Simon and work Simon and both Simon share similar values. But when I'm at work, I, uh, I uh, my personality and the way I carry myself is different to life Simon. So I switch mm. that on in the mm. morning.
1: Through your career, is there anything or anyone who's significantly influenced you? Any mentors, anybody who's really helped shape your perspective on business and creativity?
0: Well, that's an easy one. That's Apova, um, my business partner, and he's like my brother. So he and I have worked mm-hmm. together for 26 years, and we worked together before Dixon Baxi, and we've had Dixon Baxi for almost 20 years together. And as I was saying before, there's a very symbiotic and very overlapped relationship with him. He's as, he's as close as anybody could possibly be to me. And um, that ability for the two of us to, to define our lives and our careers together and our friendship together, that, that is by far the most, the biggest inf- outside of my wife, of course, but um, in terms of work, that's by far the biggest influence.
1: Awesome. So is, have there been any big obstacles or roadblocks in your career that you've overcome? I mean, any real defining, big defining moment or moments?
0: It's a tricky one. Uh, I, yeah, I, I just, I'm so hardwired to get beyond problems from a very, very young age, I've always just not really, I believe in this self-fulfilling prophecy which is if you look at things optimistically and charge hard and go after a thing you want and don't do things that distract you and don't do things which are not right for you, you can navigate your way through and I don't dwell on that I, negativity of things. Inevitably self-doubt is the biggest one though. It's so easy to, to, to kind of doubt yourself. So That's why I have two Simons. Mm. So I have a second Simon that um, has a slightly stronger perspective on things that says it's okay. If we fail, we fail. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, There's some good advice in there too. Thank you. Okay. When and where do you find yourself coming up with your best ideas?
0: (laughs) That's easy. In the moment. uh, I'm (laughs) entirely live. So I, I trained myself years and years ago that Yeah. You might have an idea walking in in the shower and you've got a muse. It doesn't work like that for me. You say, here's a challenge. I'll give you the idea. You need another idea. I'll give you a second idea. You need another idea. I'll give you a third idea. And I do that entirely live all the time.
1: Mm, That's great. All right. If you could go back to your 18 to 21 year old self, what would you tell yourself at that age?
0: um to just trust my gut or trust myself because it'll be okay that's
1: great i think uh holds true all the way through life better to know that at a young age all right what are you reading and streaming these days
0: um i'm rereading um the better angels of our nature which is a stephen pinker book and it's about it's a history of humanity through violence and the fact that violence is descending. So it, it it goes all over the world and it goes through lots of kind of um, really turbulent and violent parts of our history, but it's very positive because it's showing that we're growing as humans and things are less violent and things are getting better. It doesn't mean the world's a perfect place, but he's just got a really great way of writing positively about big ideas. Um, he's a professor of psychology at Harvard. So, I like that type of reading, which kind of stretches me. So th- I'm just rereading that at the moment.
1: That's great. Yeah. He doubles down in his latest, latest book, Enlightenment Now on that. Yeah, exactly. The decline of disease and poverty of, uh, the advancements in medicine. Yeah. I mean, there's you a few know, books
0: like that, Factfulness and books like that kind of deal with that. And, you know, some of the information's, um, accurate, some isn't. Does that website, um, information is beautiful. I don't even see seen that, but it's a series of data charts. And, and again, it's just showing that we are making a difference. And I think it goes back to what we are saying before. There's, there's a lot of negativity in the world and there's a lot of looking for problems and not looking for solutions. Mm. And and I, I, I'm a massive believer in looking for the solutions to things, then pointing to problems and saying it's shit and then walking away and then walking back and going still shit and then walking away again. So I like to read things which focus me around how, how we can positively collectively make the world a better place. It's
1: fantastic. That's really great. Well, Simon, I think, uh, that's a good spot to end this. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your, your experience and uh, some wisdom with us. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you and Dixon Baxi online?
0: We're um, at Dixon Baxi on Instagram and Twitter and things. And we're at Dixonbaxi.com. com. D I X O N. B-A-X-I.com. Thanks so much, Simon. Hey, thanks, man. It's been a really, really interesting chat. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. All right, till next time. All right, be well. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Frequencies. You enjoyed it, share it with a friend and head over to Apple Podcast to leave a review and a comment. You can find us online at worldsgreatestinternship.co and butchershop.co. See you out there.